Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Um, I've spent the last week at an adventure camp for grade 9 to 12 um, campus students and it was a good time. Got a few wolves, there's a few people that were there and it was such a good time to see people pushing themselves out of their comfort zone and I really like to see that and at the same time I asked myself, it's like what areas am I pushing myself out of my comfort zone? I think it's pretty easy to get comfortable. Does anybody like being comfortable? I like being comfortable. I like. Has anybody ever had an uncomfortable bed? Put your hand up if you've ever had an uncomfortable bed. Isn't it the worst thing? And you'll actually happily spend money on something that seems pretty normal to get a good night's sleep because it's nice to have a comfortable bed, but we do like comfort. And so the, one of the activities was abseiling. And so for those of you unfamiliar with ab- abseiling, which wouldn't be too many, um, it's where you have a rope on the top of a cliff which is hopefully anchored to something. No, it is anchored to something. And then you tie a special knot on a harness and you clip in and then you lower yourself down the side of a cliff. And it looks really cool and you're watching people come over this cliff and come down and inevitably there's somebody standing at the bottom so they've been through the safety briefing and they're talking about the knots, making sure the right knot in the right place and Marty knows all about this, maybe I should get him up to explain, He's, uh, he can give me some pointers later but they get the right knots in the right place and make sure it's all good, they um, tie their knots on and they practice before it's at a critical moment, so on the ground, before they're like six metres above the ground and they're not going to fall a lot quick, quicker than they hope they would. So they get everything right, they go through the safety briefing and then some people make their way up, let them down and there's this, there's someone from the bottom that goes, that doesn't look too bad. And then they get to the top and they're, that doesn't look too bad. Goes to, whoa, that's a long way down. And this fear sets in. And I think so often we can look at something from the outside and go, that doesn't look too bad. But then when we go to do it, we actually get highly challenged on it. And I don't know about you, but I've spent in previous jobs, I'll uh, put that in there, in previous jobs, I've spent time in training that I'm sitting there going, gee, it's a lot of information, but how does it actually apply to my day-to-day? And with abseiling, you get the safety brief, you're working it out, and then within minutes, you're utilising what you've learnt. And for me, that's the perfect sort of training. But just information for the sake of information, that's not really my thing. And in fact, if I find myself in a place where I feel like, how do I apply it practically and I can't make the link, I find it really hard to be engaged with that material. So the best training for me is where there is an obvious connection between practical application and the information. And so many of us here 
have a lot of information about the Christian faith, about the Christian journey. Um, we can have all these deep theoretical concepts. And in fact, I dare say we've got so much information that if we just practically applied everything that we know, it would be the end of the sermon. So today is just about what are you going to do with the information that you have. End of sermon. Band, come up. No, I'm going to go into it a little bit more. But if we lived out all the information on a practical level that we have, I dare say we would be somewhat busy. In a good way. In Jonah 1, 1 to 3, we're going to read about Jonah. I find this a fascinating story. I'm just going to start with the first little few verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And it's easy to look at Jonah and go, Jonah, you had the information but you ran from it like God was so clear in telling you what he wanted you to do. Like, didn't you know that God's heart was to see the Ninevites turn from their ways so that they'd be saved? And God was really clear in that. And you had all this information, but you went the other way. Didn't you know that God could send a whale to swallow you up and you'd survive that ordeal? And didn't you know, didn't you know, didn't you know? The truth is, Jonah didn't have all the information, but he had enough information to know where God was sending him, but yet he ran the other way. And we can be harsh on Jonah and say, you ran the other way, but God wanted to use you to, to reach those people. But I wonder... Running the other way to Joppa, is that much different from having information that we don't practically outwork in our lives? And I don't think it's that different, to be honest. I think it could nearly be one and the same. We could listen to 100 incredible Sunday messages, but yet our Monday doesn't look any different to the 9am Sunday before we heard that message because there's not that practical application that's applied. And I think the reason that Jonah went the opposite way was because the information hadn't become a revelation. And for us, if the information we have, if it's not a revelation, we're never going to act on our conviction. It's so important that we are acting on what God has revealed to us. And I wonder, even right now, there may be something that God is stirring in you, that there's some information that he has just turned into a revelation. And I love the way that God is so, so patient with us, that he just wants us to have our lives corrected one degree at a time to see us living in the right path that he has for us. His heart is for us, and we can be so sure of that. And so this question of, what am I going to do about it? The title for today's message, what am I going to do about it? And I want to look at it in the context of the information that we have. 
What am I going to do about it so that it is a revelation which sees a practical outworking and a practical application? It's a bit of a classic line, but when I was in year eight, um, two of my mates actually got into a big fight in PE and, well, I thought they were mates too, but probably not as close as I thought, but a big fight and the PE teacher pulls them off one another. But what started this was this simple line of, what are you going to do about it? Has anybody heard that line, what are you going to do about it? Does anybody have teenagers at home that they hear this line, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? What's the action that you're going to put to this information you have? And it's a really common, a common one, what are you going to do about it? And so we need to ask ourselves often with the information that we have, what am I going to do about it? And if we can't put revelation and practical application to the information, we end up as an armchair expert. Somebody that knows a lot about a subject but can't actually do that. Uh, I've looked up the Urban Dictionary dictionary meaning for you, um, for your benefit actually, so I could explain it better to you. So nobody be offended by these meanings. If they hit a little close to home, that's okay, but don't, please don't be offended. Someone who claims to know all the answers to a problem, situation or scenario, but has little or no experience or real understanding of it. They are usually found on internet forums or social media perhaps, or writing in the letter section of the newspaper. That's, this next one hits even closer to home. Someone who acts like they know the ins and outs of a sport despite never having actually participated in it and having accrued all of their knowledge of the game from watching matches on TV. Brace yourselves. Armchair experts typically criticise players way too harshly or referees umpires for decisions that are very hard to get right. Even though... Most armchair experts would fail to run 100 metres without passing out. <laughs> the armchair expert. It's possible to have lots of knowledge, but the outworking of that is not happening and it's not a healthy or helpful place to be. In James 1, to 25. Don't just listen to the word. You fool yourselves if you do that. You must do what it says. Suppose someone listens to the word but doesn't do what it says then they are like a person who looks at their face in a mirror. After looking at themselves, they leave, and right away they forget what they look like. But suppose someone takes a good look at the perfect law that gives freedom, and they keep looking at it. Suppose they don't forget what they've heard, but they do what the law says, then this person will be blessed in what they do. And so first up, in verse 22, don't just listen to the word. You fool yourselves if you do that. You must do what it says. And that is simply just where that information becomes practical application. In verse 23, suppose someone listens to the word but doesn't do what it says, then they are like a person who looks at their face in a mirror. After looking at themselves, they leave. And right away, they forget what they look like. It can seem a little bit obscure on the surface, but I once listened to a podcast which put this really well, and I can't find the podcast that it was on to reference it, unfortunately. But they liken this to looking in the mirror, seeing something in your teeth, and then leaving the house without doing anything about it. 
I think that's a, I think that's a great example. It's actually to let you into my world a little bit. One of my fears is that I would be speaking in front of people with something in my teeth. Hopefully there's nothing there right now. Get some text later saying, oh, that's a beautiful piece of spinach you had in your teeth today. Uh, but it would be silly for me to look in the mirror to see a piece of spinach, go, oh, yeah, and walk out and go and speak in front of people. It would be ridiculous. But sometimes the mirror that God has given us to observe ourselves and examine our hearts, we look at that and we leave without changing what God's highlighted to us that we need to change because we have the information but we don't have the revelation. And it's so important that we allow God to bring that revelation, to bring the practical application to it. Verse 25. But suppose someone takes a good look at the perfect law that gives freedom and they keep looking at it. Suppose they don't forget what they've heard, but they do what the law says, then this person will be blessed in what they do. And today I'm not going to go into what a blessed life looks like. That is a whole new um, topic on its own. But it is true that when we would look in the mirror and see those adjustments that we need to make and we would see that outworked, that we do actually live the blessed life that God has called us to live, which is, a, which is an incredible place to be. But back to this question of when I look in the mirror, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to touch this up and touch that up? Or I'm going to go, oh yeah, could be better. And off I go, out the door. If you think about this question of what am I going to do about it, it's not only applicable to messages, to reading the Bible, it is actually applicable to every situation we find ourselves in. I mentioned that I'd spent last week at an, at an adventure camp. Now, the information that I have says that all people are valuable to God, that God wants to reach every person, that Jesus came to give life and life to the full and he wants everybody to live in that, that he cares about people intimately, that uh, he has made a way for people to be made right with him and that he wants his heart to be revealed from the youngest to the oldest. So that's the information I have. But if that information does not become a revelation for me, I'm not going to sacrifice some time to help out with that. If that hasn't become a revelation, I'm not going to put myself out to help with that. And so I need to say, God's given me this information and I have an opportunity to serve. What am I going to do about it? And so to ask you the question, the areas that God is calling you into, the information you have about that, what are you going to do about it? And it plays out in the most practical of ways. We walk into a party there's somebody sitting off on their own that we don't really know. We have our friends, all familiar faces, and in us we go, God's heart's for the one. Even Jesus talks about leaving the 99 to pursue the one. I've got that information. But then I walk into the room and there's the familiar and the cruisy and, you know, we've got along for a long time, and there's the one. If the information has become a revelation, instead of going to the 99, I'm going to go to the one. And I'm going to do it gladly because the information is not just information. In James 2, 14 to 17, 
What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And here we have this thing of we have the information, but is it a revelation? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to step outside of our normal and human nature and go, actually, I'm transformed now. I'm a new creation. That old way is gone. I don't live for myself anymore. I am actually called to be selfless. I'm actually called to lay down my life for other people. It's become a revelation. And so I will do that gladly. And I think if we all acted on the information we have, and I'm including myself, that so many more circles around our life, would be changed, that people's lives would be changed through their interaction with us, which actually leads them to Jesus. But it takes some stepping out. God gives us the information, but he calls us to make that first step. Wouldn't it be so easy if God made that first step for you? Like if you're on top of the abseiling cliff and God just gives you a mighty push. Um, Sometimes he nudges us, I'll admit, but he won't force us into something that our heart's not prepared to go to, but he actually leaves that in our hands, that we would take that step. And that's where this question comes into it. What am I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? The areas that God is calling you. But where do I get started? What do I do? If you want to know where to start, put your foot in the door of somewhere that's asking for volunteers. If you want to know where to start, go into your workplace with a servant heart and a servant attitude. If you want to know where to start, a ministry area in the life of the church, go to the leader and say, I love what's happening here. How can I help? Can I get involved in some way? Let that information, these things, these programs are great for reaching people and we're part of the body and we're part of the church and this is what family and community looks like. But what am I going to do about it so that I have some practical outworking of this and we will see many more people's lives changed. What about when we come across people that don't have a voice? And this is one that we can be sitting in something and um, somebody doesn't have a voice. We become aware they don't have a voice. Maybe it's because they are in a a lot of poverty. Maybe it's because they're in a different, um, come from a different standing in society. Um, Whatever it is, they cannot have a voice and they're marginalised. So we end up in a situation where we can be the voice for that person. And so the information would say, that God values everybody equally, that he wants the marginalised and oppressed to be lifted up, that he wants everybody to feel valued and loved. That's the information. But if it's not a revelation, I'm probably just going to go into my next fellowship gathering and say, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could give a voice to the marginalised? Wouldn't it be great if we could see people helped out of poverty? Wouldn't it be great if we could see more people connected in the life of the church? 
But if it's a revelation, when I'm in that moment, when we're in that moment, we actually act on it and do something about it, which is exactly where God is calling us to. He's called us to action. And I see this faith in action through revelation um, expressed really well by the Roman officer that we read about in Matthew 8. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralysed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. And then he says, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus hears this, he's amazed. He turns to those who were following him and and Jesus turns to his followers and he says, I have never seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this in verse 11, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, many of the ones that had all the information, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed it has happened and the young servant was healed that same hour. And for me, this is this incredible example of when the Roman officer has the information but it becomes a revelation and the outworking of it looks looks like him going to meet Jesus, to be full of faith and saying, Jesus, you can heal. And then the place where he says, no, you don't even have to come to my place. In fact, I'm not even worthy to have you visit my place. But because you say it, he'll be healed. I'd love to invite the team back. So I want us to have a chance to respond. And not even necessarily to this message, but actually to the Holy Spirit convicting of information that you hold that he is turning into a revelation today. And so as I look at this Roman officer and the faith that he had, while it was against his background, he hadn't grown up in it, he wasn't familiar with all the teachings and writings, but he knew enough about Jesus that Jesus had the authority to heal, that Jesus was all-powerful. And I wonder if we apply this to our prayer life, this principle to our prayer life, if our revelation is similar to that of the Roman officer, what would our prayer life look like? Like how many more things would we be going to God asking for? Or how many more people would we be going to God on behalf of? Information. God's heart's for everybody. He wants the church to be the hands and the feet he wants us to be the the outward expression and the working out of, of himself the information but in our day-to-day in our monday to sunday what does that look like on the ground and for all of us we are called to action 
It's such a powerful line. The officer says, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home, but you just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. really incredible the way that God wants to impact the world through each of us got to be honest times when we're like we're like that Roman officer like not even worthy to have Jesus reside in this body but it's God's plan and design right from the start that we would be the outworking of him And so me not allowing God to have full control over me and my actions is actually saying, I've got a better idea. You know, thanks for giving me the mirror there, but like, I reckon I can do a better job with just a little bit of Photoshop and I'll come up with something just a little bit better than you've reflected back to me to change. But God's heart is that we would be continually transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And that does bring about a great freedom. 